0: Welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and I'm here today with Andrea Trodden, our Vice President of Communications and Marketing at Heartbeat International. And we're joined by Andrew Wood. He is the Executive Director of Hope Resource Center in Knoxville, Tennessee. So Andrew will actually be a keynote speaker at our upcoming conference in Jacksonville, Florida on March 30th through April 1st. So uh, we'll see if maybe we can get him to give us a sneak peek of what his talk will be like. If you've uh, listened to any of our recent episodes of the Pregnancy Health Podcast. You probably have heard us mention the annual conference a couple of times and that's because it is coming up very soon now here in just a few weeks. So there's the in-person option in Jacksonville, Florida, but we're actually hosting a whole nother separate conference filled with different workshops. Uh, It's a virtual conference as well. So both of those in-person and virtual options that will be happening that week. You can register or find more at heartbeatservices.org. So, Andrew, would you like to get us started?
1: Thank you so much, Christine. And we are really excited about our upcoming conference and wanted to kind of give a sneak peek as to some of our speakers. And I have the honor of interviewing Andrew Wood. So, thank you, Andrew, so much for being here today and letting us kind of dig in, uh, get to know you a little bit better so that we kind of have a better feel for who you are and why Heartbeat would ask you to come and inspire and educate all of our (laughs) lovely attendees in Jacksonville. I asked the
2: same question. I asked the same question. (laughs) Why would Heartbeat ask me to come? But uh, I'm grateful, grateful for the opportunity and honored to to partner with y'all in the work that we're doing.
1: I saw your note on Facebook, actually, and I was like, hey, we put together that brochure and that is (laughs) Andrew and we are excited to have him come. Um, And actually, I'd love uh, just to kind of dive in and, um, help people kind of understand a little bit more about where you come from. And so can you tell us your journey? Like, how did you come to join the pregnancy help movement? How did God work in your life through these years, um, and guide you into this?
2: Yeah, for me, I mean, I, you know, I like to tell people I've, I've been pro-life, uh, since coming out of the womb. I mean, it's all I've ever known. It's all my family's ever, ever known. I was in church every day that the doors were open, uh, growing up, but, um, but as I as I got older, I got more involved uh, politically. So I was a political science major in college. And uh, I always joke that, that the only contact in my phone from anyone that I went to college with is my wife. And it's because I debated and argued with everybody and nobody <laughs> wanted to stay in touch with me. I was that kind of college student. So um, so I would, you know, I remember, you know, 18 years old, writing papers on abortion and and having debates back and forth, uh, you know, when I was a senior uh, in school at, uh, at Middle Tennessee State University, just uh, debating with everybody about every, a, a host of issues, but abortion was always uh, top of the list. And then to fast forward, we, we moved to Knoxville in 2008, my wife and I, and uh, we started, you know, growing a family. We now have four kids. And, and in the process, I just felt really convicted that uh, our pro-lifeness kind of stopped at the voting booth. Um, and I cared more about the way people voted than I did about their uh, eternity. And, and for me, it just was a, uh, the Lord just started convicting me on that. I was uh, a kid's pastor at a time, bivocationally, and, uh, and just was, was seeing kind of the, the, the tragedy that is abortion, you know, uh, occur around me and think, man, what are we doing? We're not, you know, we're not really doing anything except voting, which is good. I encourage people to do that, put license plates and stickers on their car, all, all of those things. But I just felt really convicted about it. And so uh, I Googled um, pregnancy center in Knoxville because I knew that uh, Knoxville being as large as it is, I knew there would be a pregnancy center here. Um, and because when in my small town that I grew up in, uh, there was a a center there that was more material assistance. And I remember filling up a bottle when I was in high school. And I did so because a, a cute girl that I went to school with, I wanted her mom to be impressed uh, that I, I cared enough to fill a bottle up. And that was really my all of my engagement. That's a, as far as it went. And, and so here I Googled and, and came across Hope Resource Center. And I said, look, I don't know what I can do, but uh, let me know if if I can help. And so I started coming once a week and praying on site at at Hope uh, back then. And then my small group at church would put together good gift bags and things for patients and for staff. And then one day I was sitting at my desk. I worked full time at the University of Tennessee. And I was sitting at my desk and I got an email from someone at Hope Resource Center and they said, Uh, do you know anyone that would be interested in our executive director position? We're looking and you know, because I was on their email list, they emailed me along with, you know, hundreds of other folks. And, uh, and I just remember thinking, huh, I kind of think I would want to do that and sat down with my wife and I submitted my resume and the the process went well. And I remember sitting down after they offered me the job, I remember sitting down with my wife and, and saying, um, you know, this wasn't in the plan of, of kind of the direction we were going, uh, career wise and professionally, but, uh, but there's going to be a day where our kids asked us, what did we do, uh, while 3000 kids, babies were being aborted a day. And I said, right now, our answer is we voted and I'm not okay with that. And I said, you know, if I take this job, our answer can be daddy got up every single day, uh, to serve the women that were struggling. And, um, and after that, it was kind of a no-brainer. I said yes, and, and the rest is history. And, and now it's been right at seven years of serving at Hope Resource Center and, and just been a blessing. Uh, just last night, I, I was able to sit down with uh, seven dads in our community. They're, they're about to step into fatherhood, and, and they're nervous and scared. And watching those dudes uh, swaddle baby dolls and, and put diapers on baby dolls was, was amazing. So it's, it's, been, it's been a true blessing to be a part of this work.
1: I love how you took that passion that you had with politics and put it into action um, because that does show uh, that there are different aspects of the pro-life movement. And we are aware of that. And there is a role to play in each element. We have our activists, we have our um, political lobbyists, but to be the service arm is to be the ones in the community to do that. So we actually... Um, quite love, of course, our service providers. And actually, you gave me a great segue because my next question is regarding men in ministry and and within the pregnancy centers, um, but before, actually, before coming to you for those swaddling parenting lessons and fatherhood mentorship programs, um, going back to you when you were younger and growing up millennial and how you were taught about your role as a man. On the abortion issue. Now, it does sound like you were surrounded by very godly people who fed life into you. But knowing I'm not a man, so I didn't grow up with that um, the, the um, passive language that we've been sure. taught. So I wanted you to speak to that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, it's interesting. My my family is a. Uh, very political. I've always, I always make the joke, my, my dad, you know, not to get political, but my dad one year got a Christmas card from, uh, this was back in the 90s, from Al Gore. Uh, and, and my dad just wrote Return to Cinder. Uh, and I thought I, that always stuck with me that, you know, Al Gore didn't send that to him individually. And, and Al Are Gore wasn't sure? going yeah, <laughs> to. Am, I am very sure. And, and Al Gore was never going to read the Return to Cinder part. Uh, But that's the type of atmosphere I grew up in. then my granddad uh, would be the opposite. He would have welcomed a letter from Al Gore. He would have framed it
1: and hung it up. Yes,
2: 100%. And so uh, they always joke that when you go into my grandparents' house, you see pictures of some of my cousins with with different politicians. And they said, we put your pictures in the drawer. And when you come, we pull them out because we don't want those politicians on our wall. And so... uh, but it, it's, it's always been been a fun process. But for me growing up as a man, we were we were encouraged to be leaders. We were encouraged to to step up and, and stand up for the vulnerable. Uh, and, and for us, that included the unborn. And it was never a question for me. Uh, I had I always had little cousins around me that were younger than me that I would, uh, even as a teenager, would babysit. Even, you know, so that's not a, a lot of guys don't do that. But that was just part of our family dynamic. And, and then my brother, uh, had a unexpected pregnancy with a girl and, and um, and my nephew is now 19 years old and, and is amazing. And so there, there's all these things that, that have kind of played a role in that. And for me, it, it, the shift occurred when, when the Lord kind of stepped in and, and, and said, uh, you know, I appreciate all that you're doing being a mouthpiece and, and from a political standpoint. Uh, but there are people around your community that are hurting and they could care less about a Supreme Court decision or or the way you voted. They just need someone to step in for them. And, and when I when I really dug deep and looked at what pregnancy help centers are doing from a, it, its free medical care, uh, excellent care and and really just trying to to take the gospel to people and love people well and serve people well without judgment. Uh, I was, that, that's what I wanted to be a part of. I want to be a part of, of setting an example and a legacy that lives for a very long time to say that, uh, if hope closed tomorrow, this community would fill it. And, and it would not be a, a good feeling. And so we want to, we want to leave that lasting mark. So growing up for me, uh, as a millennial, you know, a lot of times the message was, Hey guys, this isn't your fight, shut your mouth and sit down. And, uh, the way I was raised was to buck that. As I said, I had a lot of debates and and arguments in college because I just refused to, to believe that. And, and after some of those classes, people would come up to me and say, uh, I'm so glad you said something. I I agree with you, but I I just didn't feel comfortable. And I thought, man, I never want to be that person that, uh, that isn't willing to step up if I believe something is right. And so, um, I don't always do it. There's certainly been times where I've held my tongue, but, uh, but we try to do what's right and, and do it in the right tone, in the right way so that, that life would be celebrated and protected uh, as long as we can make that happen.
1: I love that. Now, how does that translate into meetings from like what you did last night with those men?
2: Yeah, what was beautiful about last night was we had, uh, we had just as many men volunteers in the community at that meeting as we did men that were, that are about to step into fatherhood. And so they, we're going to, we, we have monthly meetings and we, we do these meetings at last night's meeting was at our, our facility. Uh, but the next meeting is going to be at a, at a gym at a, at a physical therapist's office to walk through about the importance of sleep and health and, and taking care of yourself. And then we're going to have one at a, one of our partners is a, is a pretty big tire shop. Uh, they have a number of different locations. So we're going to have a meeting there where we're going to talk about, Hey, changing your oil, changing a tire, you know, things that, that sometimes we take for granted. You know, my dad, and my parents taught me some of these things. Um, and, and maybe these, these fellows don't have that. So really trying to empower them to step into the role that they're about to step into. And, um, and then after every meeting, they're getting to take diapers home to, to their, to their family. So for them, it's a way for them to provide uh, that they may not be able to otherwise, but, but really trying to give them the confidence to be the man and the dad that they've been called to be. Uh, and to be a part of that, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of roles that I play and a lot of responsibilities I have, but none are greater um, than being the dad to my, my son and my three girls. And, and it really is a uh, something that I don't take for granted. And, and I often tell, and I told the group last night, I said, you know, out of everybody that's walked the planet, you were picked to be the dad to this kid. And, and that's a heavy, heavy responsibility. But what an amazing truth that he could have picked anybody, but they picked you. And, and so let's run with it. Let's, let's, uh, we were built for this. We were made for this. And uh, let's own it and be responsible. And, and, um, and so look, I just love the opportunities to talk to those guys about breaking the, uh, the cycle and changing a generation just by being present. It's such a huge opportunity they have.
1: Well, That's such a point, breaking the cycle, because we know that strong families, building strong families creates strong families. And then that becomes a good cycle because as you mentioned, you were surrounded by people pouring love into you and teaching you life lessons and such. And now you get to go out and um, empower these men to be that provider in their child's life too. So that's a very good role to play. Thank you. Now, what have you learned in the seven years since being executive director at Hope Center?
2: Uh, I've learned that uh, it's okay to say, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think, I think sometimes we, especially my generation, uh, we come into things and organizations and, and we think, hey, we know what, what's best and, and our marketing's better and our graphics are better and, and we, our writing is better. Um, and, and I came in. And, and I'm the only guy on staff. And, and I knew that that, that was going to be for some, they were, you know, excited for others, not, not so excited. And so stepping into that role, understanding that we can all learn from each other, but also understanding where we've come from. I often think about 1973. And I'll give you a glimpse of what, what I'm going to speak about in, in just a few weeks. But I often think about 1973 and Roe v. Wade, I wasn't even born. And in 1973 comes Roe v. Wade is, is uh, put forth. Abortion now becomes the law of the land. And, and I, I always think, what would I have done mm-hmm. in that situation? And, and I don't know. I, I really don't. But what I do know is there were people then that looked around and said, isn't just going to be fixed at the Supreme court level or at the political level, we got to do something for the people that are our neighbors that need help. And the fact that people came together and said, we're going to start some type of center medical or otherwise to help those people. it blows my mind. And some of those people are still serving today. I mean, it it absolutely blows my mind that they took the initiative uh, to do that. And so for my generation to come in and say, you know, everything's going to be fixed now. I'm like, well, we wouldn't even be where we are today without the, the consistent, tireless work of so many. And they get very few accolades and they get very few, you know, very few people recognize them. They, they don't get, uh, they get maligned, if anything, in the, in the culture and society and in news outlets. And so uh, any opportunity I get to, to point people to the amazing work that's happening around our country uh, I'm going to scream it from the rooftops that these these men and women that are doing this work are, uh, they will be rewarded one day. And, and uh, it may not be an article in the New York Times, uh, but, but who cares? It, it's going to be so much better than that as we see the lives, uh, as, as we see babies that, that have came through and, and now they're graduating high school. Now they're getting married their own. Now they're, they're having their own kids. I mean, there's just nothing like it. And, and none of that would have happened. Uh, without the folks that came before us, and so I have some staff here even that uh, have a lot longer tenure they 've been doing this work for a long time and and you know my heart from the beginning has been I want you to have a seat at the table uh you know you you 've seen a lot more than I have, and uh, let 's work together to to serve the people the best way we can. Uh, I just have a loud voice and I get to I tell the staff all the time i the Lord picked me to be the mouthpiece and i 'm happy to do that but The mouthpiece isn't doing the ultrasounds, isn't doing the pregnancy tests, isn't doing that hard day in, day out consultation and sitting down with these patients and the heaviness that they carry and the weight that they carry uh, in those exam rooms is is something that needs to be talked about and discussed and celebrated because they could go make a heck of a lot more money somewhere else. But they they choose to serve uh, in this way with us at Hope. and, And it's such a blessing.
1: That's the fun thing. So last year was Heartbeat International's 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So uh, on the decades, we give away what are called legacy awards. And it gives us that opportunity to highlight those people who've been in the movement um, quietly behind the scenes or out front and to really honor the work that they've been doing for several years some of yep. them as you mentioned some we have some pregnancy centers that have been around since 1968 it's like they were around it's before amazing. roe v Wade because they saw that this was a need and they, they stood up and they said we want to help and they did and it takes it takes a certain personality and a certain passion and a calling and it's good to know that those happen each generation and it's continuing to come in like even here we, we've got we Across the spectrum of ages. And it's so wonderful to see. And we know that happens in pregnancy centers all over from um, actually one of the things that I'll be teaching at the conference is about cross-generational messaging because our clients are Gen Z and such, and but our donors are baby boomers and, um, and later millennials and such. And so it's having that message across the board because you're touching the lives of all generations and you have to be able to um, pour into them. Uh, either through their needs or um, through their calling as to how they can then serve as well. Mm-hmm. So what surprised you over the years being in the pregnancy help movement?
2: Yeah, I think what surprised me, I mean, you know, it's it's funny, there's never a day where uh, we have morning meetings and we talk about the uh, the patient list for the day and we kind of go over different stories of the week. And, and you know, most weeks there's always something where I'm like, well, I haven't, haven't heard that one yet. I haven't seen <laughs> We haven't seen that one yet, but, um, but I guess what surprised me was when I first started, I, I remember sitting down with the staff and saying, uh, hey, tell me something about you, something about hope. And, and, um, and one of the staff members says, we're Knoxville's best kept secret. And, and I remember thinking, well, that's about to change. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I'm loud and, and I, uh, and so now I host a, a radio show here in town and, and, uh, do different things because we want to be known. We don't want to be a secret. I, you know, there was a a long time where if any media outlets reached out, the the blanket statement was no comment. And I was like, no, come sit down with me in the office. Come, come, bring a camera. Let's, you know, let's have a conversation. And and to watch the the partnerships that have been cultivated just from staff members being empowered to, in uh, in. Willing to speak out about the work that we do and not apologize for that, and and we haven't gotten the backlash. Now, context matters. We're in the South. We're in Tennessee, where things are a little bit different than I'm sure directors that are in New York or California are dealing with. But but understanding that and reaching out and having great partnerships with churches that uh, just blow me away every every time I sit down with them about how willing they are to stand with us. And so it's just been a, a an amazing process to watch. The difference be made and the confidence that comes when a staff feels like, oh, I can say that I can say that we're doing great work and not apologize for it. And, and I can uh, I can say that we're unapologetically pro-life and, and and we can say all those things and still have an amazing partnership with the local health department. We can say all those things and still have an amazing partnership with the campus and, and not feeling like we have to water down who we are in order to connect. Uh, it's just been it has been amazing to watch that flourish over the last seven years, and and then just being able to connect with centers all over the country, and 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 kind of opening my eyes to the amazing work that's being done in rural communities, and suburban communities, and urban communities, and everywhere in between. Uh, it's just been uh, quite amazing that the creative folks that that are involved in this work to say how can we better serve the communities that we've been brought to, and, and so. Uh, it's a blessing. And so that's probably been my surprise. I didn't really know what to think, um, but I've been, as a dude, I've been very accepted. Uh, maybe that's a surprise <laughs> too, uh, but it's been, it's been a blessing. Uh, you know, when I tell people I work uh, in this, in this world, you know, a lot of times they kind of look at me like, Oh, okay. But, um, but then they find out I drive a legit church fan and, and the whole nine and they're like, okay, that makes sense. So.
1: Yeah. I've been, So I've been in the movement for a while and I've been seeing the demographics at our conferences kind of shift to where it's like, Hey, there's more guys here this year. And it's been kind of fun to watch because it definitely has been growing over the years, which cracks me up because to, to read anything from the opposition, it's like, Oh, well, it's just a bunch of men telling women what to do. It's like, Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) You have no idea. Yeah. It definitely is not. So um, I know you gave us a little bit of a, a hint as to what you're planning to talk about, but is that the whole theme of your talk or is there anything else you can share about your topic at the conference?
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I just want to, uh, you know, it's interesting. The, the Lord kind of politics has been a, a strong passion of mine. And most people think politics are about dividing, which, you know, you look at our current culture, you see a lot of that division. Uh, but he, the Lord's convicted me a lot on on unity and and bringing folks together and and if I can be uh, a unifier when it comes to different legs of the pro life movement, whether it be advocacy or or the the work that we're doing or or, or anything, then I want to do that. But the same way, I want to be kind of the unifier between uh, generations. And and I I've I've always joked I'm an old so I was born a pawpaw. That's just me. Like there there's no getting around it. I, I'm uh, but, uh, but I love the fact that we can all work together and come together, even though we may see things differently. Uh, if, if Roe v. Wade is in fact overturned this summer, it is not because of my generation. It, it is in conjunction with my generation and all those that came before us and, and, and even my kids and, and, you know, the new generation coming up, that were willing to vocalize and, and get involved. And so, uh, look, I think when we get to the end of this and when we see a day where Roe is overturned, our work doesn't stop. We still have a, a lot of work to do. But but there's no generation that should take the credit. It's just about time for a generation to stand up for a generation that's been aborted. That's what we got to do. And and that's going to take multiple generations coming together, seeing that there, there needs to be working in conjunction with each other. Uh, and, and then I would say from, from my, my part of it, my generation is tone is important. And if we have critiques or if we have questions or concerns to do that in a proper way and not in a hateful, uh, rhetoric way, but also Mm -hmm. if, if somebody in your life is of a different generation and they have an amazing idea, but you're insecure to say, that's an amazing idea. Like we need to put our egos on the shelf and, and come together to see how we can serve better. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be with, with the group and, and to try to kind of marry those, those groups and, and see that it's uh we need both. Uh, I heard a pastor one time talk about the, the prodigal son and he said, you know, when, when the prodigal son comes back, the older brother is ticked and upset. You know, why are you, why are you giving? He took everything from us and left us. Why are you giving him everything and throwing the party? And the dad is saying, just come in, just celebrate, just party with us. Your brother is home. And so I think we can look at that and go older generation, younger generation, regardless. Ultimately, when Roe is overturned, we're going to be celebrating. We're not gonna be saying, well, I made that happen or I did this or I did that. We're gonna say, look at what the Lord allowed us to be a part of. And man, what a day.
1: Yeah, and we're seeing more and more opportunities. One of our constant sayings is that we are better together. And it is through partnerships that we're really gonna achieve true change. And you're right, when 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 the day comes that Roe is overturned, it's going to go back to the States and we're going to need to do this on a more local level. And that still is going to incorporate all of the above pieces um, of advocacy, of pregnancy service, of the continuous uh, looking at the uh, laws and activism, but it has been really fun to see um, across the generations, people rising up and doing it in their own way of being bold or it, I completely agree with you with the tone and communicating effectively so that walls don't go up the moment that the conversation starts. Um, but it is so important. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It's the better together message, um, of some that we it's near and dear to our heart because it, it is all about unifying and advancing the culture for life. And that's how we do it. It's together. If we start letting pride get in our way and say, I did that, or my generation did that, or he did that. Then it's, it's, it's one person. And we know it's so much bigger than one person. It's God. It's a God-sized mission for a reason, because it takes multiple facets of this world in order to create true change. Amen. Well, I gave you a heads up on my final question for you. (laughs) So here it goes. Tell us about a person or experience that changed the way you do ministry.
2: I got I got a couple things. One thing I'll I'll start with is, uh, you know, anytime anybody asks me about a person or experience, I have to go to my brothers. My brothers are the uh, my best friends and and pillars in my life. My oldest brother in particular, you know, not to get long winded and tell you tell you everything. But my parents divorced when I was 14, Uh, when I was a senior in high school because I got tired of the back and forth every other weekend stuff. I have parents that love me greatly. And I, and I'm not, I, I talked to my dad every single day, Talk to my mom a ton. They're, they're great, but their marriage just didn't work out. Uh, but I got tired of the back and forth and kind of being in the middle. And I moved in with my brother, my senior year of high school, he had his own place and I lived with him until he got married. Uh, and then I got married a few months later. So, so I didn't have to, you know, move back in with my mom or dad. Uh, that's not the only reason I got married, <laughs> but obviously, uh, and so, uh, my brother is a pillar in my life and and always has been, you know, um, I always joke. I probably heard him say five cuss words my entire life. Like he is, he is salt of the earth, just a, a, an amazing dude. And he's the one when, when I, when I was asked to speak at, at heartbeat, you know, there was some imposter syndrome. I grew up on a dairy farm in a small town in Tennessee. And, and so there's always this feeling of, do I belong? Do I not belong? Why, you know, yeah, you know, I, I actually sent him a text of the of the uh, the brochure or the graphic that y'all created, and I, I just wrote one of these things is not like the other. And his response to me was, it still gets me choked up. But he said, um, because I, you know, he's my brother, so he could have said, yeah, no, like you're not Rebecca St. James. <laughs> and so, and uh, and and he, but but instead he simply said, you belong there. And I remember thinking, like. That's the same message we tell our patients like you belong. You, you have a God that loves you. Uh, you. This may not have been your plan and your ideal situation, but uh, but you're, you bear the image of, of God and, and your baby bears the image of God and, and you belong and, and your past doesn't define you and, and all these things. And so uh, I would say him. His name is Mari. Um, I call him Marty. And uh, and then I would I would say there's a book that I read a, a, a couple years ago called God's Country faith, hope, and the future of the rural church. And and I don't live in a rural community anymore, but I grew up in one. And the focus of that book is talking about how men in ministry, especially younger folks coming into ministry, we see everything as a stepping stone. So, okay, I'll take that job and then I'll leverage that job to become a senior pastor or I'll leverage that student pastor job to become this, or, or I'll leverage that job with that nonprofit to then be an executive director of another nonprofit. And and a lot of times they see those rural areas or really any area as a stepping stone to something else. And, and what, what I took away from that book, one of the things that, that he discussed, and the, the author is Brad Roth. one of the things he discussed is you want to become the dirt of the place. And I remember thinking, what is he, I don't want to become dirt. What does he mean by that? But, but when you're in a place long enough, your skin cells change so much that you actually become the dirt of the place. And, and what he's saying is we go there to die. We go there to serve, to, to give our lives, to serve in those communities and, and then get buried in the dirt of that place. Uh, and one thing that he, he said that I still and, and say all the time is a lot of times we see places around our country and we say those are those places are in the middle of nowhere, full of nobody people. And the reality is God sees it as those are somewhere places full of somebody people. Uh, because they bear the image of God and God created them. And so they matter no matter where you are in a rural community, an inner city, suburbs, whatever it looks like. Um, and so for me, that's what I try to do in, in the work that, that I get to do at Hope is, is point people to that truth that, that everyone we come in contact with, even those that we staunchly disagree with and that, that are operating abortion clinics, they bear the image of God. That requires something of me. That doesn't mean I have to agree with what they do. But it does require me to pray for the people that bear the image of God, and pray that God would intervene in in those things. And so, uh, that book and my brothers, and I could list a host of other folks that that have been super made a super difference in my life. But uh, but quickly, I mean that I would say that I mean it, you know as we as we do ministry and, and depending on who listens to this, uh, ministry is hard. It's not easy. Every time I have a meeting with with folks that are that are ministering, I hear about the the spiritual struggle and the warfare that's going on in their families and different things. And, um, and, and I would just say, don't neglect mission field down your hall just because you've been called to serve in your context at, at your, at your clinic. The mission field down your hall in your home is just as important. Uh, The last thing I would want is my kid to one day say, my dad was a great servant and he loved the community, but he just didn't do that at home. That, that, then I'm a failure. And so we need to not forget our homes and, and our families. And, and I remember talking to a buddy of mine, his dad was a pastor. And I said, how was that growing up? And he said, my dad was a great pastor to everyone else. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's convicting. That's heartbreaking. And so, um, so if, I could, if I could leave with anything, I would say, don't mind becoming the dirt of the place, but also don't forget about the folks that, that live right down the hall from you. They need you. Uh, and that that means you can't be burned out. That means you can't be overworked and overstressed. You, you got to be the mom and dad and husband and wife and friend and neighbor and coworker that God's called you to be. And don't apologize for that. It's worth the effort.
1: Well, that is a great message to end on. So thank you very much for your time today, Andrew. We look forward to seeing you at Jackson or in Jacksonville um, at our upcoming conference this March. And I'm going to turn it back over to Christina to close
0: us out. All right. Well, thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Andrew. It was a great episode. And uh, if you enjoyed listening, hit subscribe so that you can check out some of our other episodes and also register if you'd like to hear more from Andrew, from many of our other presenters. They're going to be at Heartbeats Conference. You can go to heartbeatservices.org. Right on the homepage, you can't miss it, is a big banner where you can click to learn more or to register now. So with that, I wish you all a great rest of your day. And uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.